The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Put down those hush puppies. Is it possible that Long John Silver's, the restaurant, no, not the fictional character, is it possible that the fish food restaurant Long John Silver's is actually a front for a nefarious drug smuggling scheme? And then we travel to Ulysses, Kansas, to meet a man who's just having some quality time at home with his family. Everything was going A-OK until an alien fugitive broke into his house. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. Wrestling bears. Wrestling bears. Trying to get away from those hungry crocodiles. Whatever you're doing, I hope it is enjoyable. First off, let's give a shout out to one of our newest Patreon supporters. Coming into Dead Rabbit Command, give it up for O'Neal. Everyone give a round of applause. Salute. Do it at the, do it at the same time. It is possible. O'Neal, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. Just help get the word out about the show. Tell your friends, tell your family, talk about it online. That also really, really helps the show out a lot. O'Neal, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy, and I hope you guys are hungry, because we are leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed on out to a local Long John Silvers. O'Neal is driving the Jason Jalopy in Austin. Where, where is the nearest Long John Silvers? How long has it been since you've actually seen one of these restaurants? But I think Long John Silver's is only an American restaurant, and this is an international show. So if you've been scratching your head ever since the intro, you're like, what in the world is a Long John Silver's? Long John Silver's is a semi-delicious restaurant. That's actually how it's described in Zagat's Guide. Semi-delicious. It is a fast food, seafood restaurant. And you would walk in, the place was very kind of nautical themed. You walk in and there was a bell. That you were only supposed to, if you enjoyed your service on the way out, you ring a bell. Ding-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling. You walk into this nautical-themed restaurant, and it's the seafood, and it's known for having the the driest fish somehow. They're able to take a critter from the ocean, which should be super, uh, super moist. And the scientists are like, how can we how can we extract each layer of water from this thing? We need it to be as dry as a desert. Their fish was always really dry, but you went there for their hush puppies. They had these delicious little cornball rice. I don't even know what they made out of. A potato, maybe? It didn't matter. They could have been they could have been made out of discarded vaccines. I would have eaten them because they were so delicious. Hush puppies. You'd go in there, you'd order like a number four, and it'd be like two pieces of cod and an octopus, or like, you know, I don't know. (laughs) The octopus just wandered in that day. They're like, that's not on the menu. It was a seafood restaurant, but it was a fast food restaurant. You took two things that people mildly enjoy and tolerate and combined them into one. I've been to quite a few Long John Silvers in my life, because you can only eat so much KFC. KFC is always bustling. 
McDonald's is always busy. Dairy Queen, stuff like that. They they tend to be busy. But the one weird thing, you don't. When I say this, you're going to realize this is true. I and I'm assuming you too have never been inside a Long John Silver's that's busy. When you walk in, it is empty. It's like a it's like a mass shooting took place the day before and no one wants to go there and you forgot to watch the news that day, but they're open for business anyways. You walk in, the the kitchen staff is shocked. They're like this is what we trained for, boys. We finally got one of these customers in. You walk in, there's no one in there. Maybe there's another family, but it's never busy. So the bell doesn't ring. And that actually is the crux of this conspiracy theory. It's very very basic. How come Long John Silver's is never busy? And I, I got to say this too. This story was recommended to me maybe about like two months into doing the podcast, two or three months really early on, but I lost the name of the person who recommended it to me. So if you are out there, young, if you're out there, you young Long John Silver's employee, thank you so much for recommending this. If you could shoot me the email or the YouTube comment or whatever showing me that you did it, I'll give you credit. But I don't remember who it was because it was so long ago I wasn't really keeping track that well. But this is the crux of the conspiracy theory. And we talk about this a lot. We talk about conspiracy theories that are observational. Someone goes, well, I can look. The earth earth is flat as far as I can see. Therefore, the earth is flat. It's an observational conspiracy theory. This one is the same thing. How come Long John Silver's, there's never anyone in them? It sounds inconsequential. But the conspiracy theory is, and I've actually seen this a couple places around the internet, And it's lasted a long time. Like I said, this was recommended to me like two years ago, and it's still around three years ago at this point. Long John Silver's is not really a fast food restaurant. I mean, that's what it appears to be, but it's actually a drug smuggling front, or specifically, it's a money laundering front. Allegedly, right now, Captain Hook, Captain Hook is banging on my door. They use pirates instead of lawyers allegedly, this is all alleged, conspiracy caps fully on. Here's the idea. Back in 1969 is when Long John Silver's officially started. There was a couple different versions of it beforehand. Originally, it was a roast beef shop, and then it was... Sorry if you guys are really hungry this episode. People are like, you know what? I've learned not to eat. I've learned not to eat food during Dead Rabbit episodes. And then this one, I'm just going to talk about delicious hush puppies and crispy, crispy, dry food. It started off as a roast beef restaurant, became a burger restaurant, became a seafood restaurant, but then it officially became Long John Silver's in 1969. This went on for a while, mostly franchises, mostly franchises, so they sell the right to use the name and use the recipes and the ingredients and all that stuff. But it never really caught on in the American consciousness. It is a weird thing. Like, seafood is something that I think most people enjoy occasionally. Is it something you could eat all the time? And... McDonald's blew them out of the water with the filet fish because the McDonald's started selling the filet fish which is honestly pretty delicious. Like most of the fish caught on that show, The Deadliest Catch, you know, the, you know the fishing show where these people are constantly dying, falling off the boat? A good amount of that fish is sold to McDonald's. It's high quality fish in their fish filet sandwiches. Long John Silver could not compete with McDonald's even in the fish market. And there was a... Steady done. There was this steady done about what's the worst food out there. What is the most dangerous food you could possibly eat at a fast food restaurant? And this is probably the first time 
<laughs> a lot of people even remembered Long John Silver's existed. And you probably remember going there once or twice as a kid because that weird kid had their birthday party there who wanted to be a Navy captain. You're like, ah, I guess I'll go and eat a bunch of hush puppies. They were named in this article as the worst meal in America. It was called the Big Catch, the Big Catch Meal. And not because it wasn't delicious, but because it was the least healthy meal you could buy in America. This was how it worked. It had 33 grams of trans fats in the meal. When I read that, I go, that's not too bad, right? I don't know anything about how many, right now a bunch of people are throwing up. They're like, Jason, you really didn't know that 33 grams was bad? Well, I don't think 33 grams of anything could be that harmful. A gram is super tiny. But 33 grams of trans fats in this one meal, it was called, quote, the Mount Everest of trans fat. And here's why. A Big Mac, an entire Big Mac, so a Big Mac, by comparison, has 1.3 grams of trans fats. The Big Catch Meal had two weeks of the daily maximum of trans fats in one meal, which I would say is very efficient. You'd get two weeks worth of trans fats. You shouldn't should, should, should really have any. But this way you could get two weeks if you wanted them. So they were starting to fall apart because now I'm just talking about dietary stuff in the history of Long John Silver's. Let me get back to the thing. This is a conspiracy theory. Long John Silver's, it's such a bizarre restaurant. It's never busy. And around the same time in 1969, there was this guy, he was a moonshiner in the late 60s, decided to switch to marijuana. His name was Johnny Boone. And he started this thing called the Cornbread Mafia. This this part's true. We know this part is true. There was this moonshiner who started to really move a lot of marijuana through the South, through like the Midwest area. They did go by the name the Cornbread Mafia. The idea is is that he, because his he started off near the location of the original Long John Silvers, he got with the owner of Long John Silvers and said, "Listen, you you have a really bad business idea. This isn't going to take off. But I need a way to launder my money." Let's work together. Let's make your dream happen and let's turn my dirty money into clean money by running it through these restaurants. And that is what kept them going for so long. Even though no one ever ate there, even though every time you walked into a Long John Silver's, and I've been into a lot of them, at most, there's one other family. At most, a family of four. Sometimes it was just me walking into the Long John Silver's. Very, very rare. It's as crowded as any other fast food restaurant. The idea was they were able to do that because they had drug money propping them up. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly, as Blackbeard is getting ready to fire cannons onto my house, allegedly, that is how they were able to prop up for so long. So the question is, why now are they starting to fail? Because it is really hard to find them. The closest one to me is like an hour drive. And it's in Portland. It's in a big city. Because marijuana is becoming illegal. Marijuana is becoming legal, or it's just kind of like stuff that cops are like, ah, I shouldn't have this marijuana on you. We will arrest you for all this cocaine and these drugs and this body in the trunk. But we'll just dismiss the marijuana charge. It's not such a big deal anymore. And so because the marijuana money is not propping up Long John Silver's, that they're starting to shut down because they can't rely on their own business. It's an interesting conspiracy theory, and it's... It, it, the one part of it is true. The cornbread mafia did actually exist. They were broken apart, and they are known in 
crime circle. I had never heard of the Cornbread Mafia before reading about the Long John Silver conspiracy theory, but they're pretty well known in criminal circles because they were just a bunch of dudes who were moonshiners who switched to marijuana. In 1987, there was one bust that netted the feds 47 tons of marijuana. And that got, they arrested a bunch of people, including Johnny, a ton of his lieutenants, a ton of his street-level dealers. They all get caught. And the police are talking to him from the top to the bottom and said, listen, and this is very, very common in drug cases. Listen, what you did was relatively minor. If you rat out the person above you, we'll give you an easy deal. Not a single, not a single member of the Cornbread Mafia talked. None of them. They arrested dozens of people and the prosecutors are leaning on them and they're facing anything from five years to 10 years, whatever. They arrested a total of 70 people spread out across several states, 70 people. They were all offered this right on the person above you. We'll give you a lesser deal. Not a single person out of that 70 ratted someone else out. Interesting story. Is it true? Probably not. Uh, that's the thing with businesses. That's the thing with capitalism. Like you, you give it your best, you shoot your shot and sometimes it catches on and it becomes McDonald's and sometimes it doesn't. It's mildly successful. It becomes something like a Quiznos. I don't know. I don't know if they're still around. That might not be an idea of success or Long John Silver's. I mean, they're still around. His dream, the people who founded this, their dream is still there to have a fast food, seafood restaurant. But um, it's definitely not an A-list tier restaurant. Arby's is more popular than Long John Silver's. And if, if if you ever have a business and Arby's is more popular than your business, then I think that's I think it's easy to say you took the L in that business. But again, an interesting conspiracy theory. People do prop up businesses like this. This type of thing does happen. Did it happen with Long John Silver's? That's what. That's what some weirdo on the internet said, and that is what I just repeated. So as I'm slowly getting encircled by pirates, they're getting ready to kill me with their cannons. I either cease and desist lawsuits, O'Neill, call in that carpenter copter and rescue your dear podcaster. We are leaving behind this Long John Silver. <laughs> some kids are getting ready to kill me. They're getting ready to stab me with the swords. I'm like, guys, hold on. I'm waiting for my order of hush puppies. Om, nom, 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 nom. Get us out of here, O'Neill. We are leaving behind Long John Silver's. We are headed all the way out to Ulysses, Kansas. And as we're headed out there, I wanted to share this really cool contest with you. It's funny. There's two different audiences for this show. There's people who listen to it the day or the week it comes out. Then <laughs> there's people who listen to it a year from now. And if you're listening to it a year from now, do not do not try entering this contest. But if you're listening to this episode before September 26, 2021, you guys should do this. You guys should do this. It looks really cool. I actually entered it. It's not a promo read. I just saw this. I entered it. And maybe you guys will too. Maybe you guys will find it interesting. There is a group called Finance Buzz. And I don't actually know what they're they're doing so i guess i'm telling i'm telling you guys to enter enter something that i'm not really for sure what the motivation is behind it so so maybe don't maybe do a little more research than i did before i sent off all my information but there's a group called finance buzz they have this contest coming up it's only for a select group of people what happens if they ship you out to a spooky warehouse in the middle of nowhere and see how long you survive? No, what they want to do, I have no idea why they're doing this. It sounds, this sounded great when I just entered my information, but now that I have to encourage other people to do it, I'm like, uh. So here's what it is. 
from October 10th to or like from October 10th to October 20th or whatever, you have to watch 13 scary movies within 10 days. And you have a heart monitor hooked up to you. You're like, Jason, what? What in the world are you talking about? This is legit. This is real. You watch 10 scary movies. You watch 13 scary movies in 10 days. With a heart monitor, they will ship out to you. And if you do this successfully, if you get chosen to be part of this program, you're sitting there, you put a heart monitor on, they send it to you. <laughs> they don't say that it can come off. And it digs in your skin. You're like, ah, this totally wasn't worth this contest. They put this heart monitor on you and you have to watch 13 movies in 10 days. If you do it, if you're chosen to do it and you complete this task, it seems quite easy. They'll pay you $1,300. You go, Jason, this has to be some sort of scheme. <laughs> please don't, please don't tell me you gave these guys any information about you. Please tell me this is some sort of bit because you, you should be skeptical about everything. Clearly, you did not send your personal information to a group who's saying they will pay you $1,300 to watch 13 scary movies wearing a heart monitor. So let me tell you about the movies. Let me tell you about the movies. They want to see how... I think the study is... Does the budget of a movie determine how scary it is? So they want you to watch a series of movies. Some have higher budgets and some have lower budgets. And I think it's a study for that. And it's movies like Saw, Amityville Horror, which I'm assuming is the original one. Both Quiet Places. Candyman, the original Candyman. Insidious, Blair Witch Project, Sinister, Get Out, The Purge. The new Halloween, Halloween 2018, Paranormal Activity, and Annabelle. Those are the movies you'll watch. And you just watch them with this heart monitor attached, and they can see how your heart's doing. So I did. I, I sent off my personal information to this group, and who knows, maybe I will get a box. And they'll have this little device in it, and I'll put it in, and I'll watch movies and then get $1,300. Or I could put it in, and then it releases some sort of like knockout gas, and then I wake up in a warehouse where I have to relive the events of these 10 movies, which would be kind of cool. I could totally beat up most of these villains, right? I could totally beat up Saw, dude, Jigsaw. I could beat up uh, Candyman. <laughs> it's my shit from side to side. That guy's like six foot three with a hook for a hand. Plus, Tony Todd's awesome. I wouldn't really want to beat him up. But, dude, like the Blair Witch? Okay, okay, so maybe I couldn't beat up half these guys. I was thinking of like Annabelle and Get Out. I'd just be like, I'd be another white guy and get out. They wouldn't even bug me. I'd be like, hey, guys. And then I would just like choke them all out in their sleep. Like, they, I wouldn't even be a threat to them. But uh, I'm pretty sure Michael Myers from Halloween 2018 or The Purge, they, they, they might be able to beat me up. I could I could dropkick Annabelle across the room. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think the rest of these guys would kill me. So anyways, that is a really cool contest. If you would also like to give your personal information to a dubious group online that promises to mail you a medical device that will attach to your body, <laughs> go ahead, follow the links. Follow the links in the show notes. I expected this to be like a two-minute segment, but once I started talking about it, I realized just how bizarre it was. So I, I am definitely glad I mentioned it. And if this is in the future... You're listening to this episode a year from now. You may not be able to 
join the contest, but, but you will be able to go, aha, this is the episode where Jason went insane because he put on that medical device and then he stopped doing the show and disappeared. Until later, I was watching a old copy of the movie Sinister. I was watching it on DVD. And I saw what appeared to be a shadow, a Jason-shaped shadow in the background going, let me out. It's not just a game. With that creepy ending, we are in Ulysses, Kansas. O'Neill, go ahead and land this carpenter copter here at this family home in this small town. The year is 1982. There's a man, we don't have his name, but we're going to call him Tony. And Tony's at home with his family. Everyone's asleep. But he hears the dogs barking. He jumps up out of bed. Dogs barking in the middle of the night. The dogs are dumb. They're going to do stuff like that. But Tony realized that this was something different. So he jumps out of bed and he runs to the window to see what his dogs are hollering out. Why, you dogs? He goes to say, he shakes his, shakes his fist out the window. But when he gets to his window, he sees what they're barking at. And it is definitely not fist shake worthy. He sees three giant skyscraper-shaped beams of light floating in the air. He goes to pull the blinds. There's almost like this instinctual thing to hide from this. Just like a child would throw a cover-up over their head. He thinks by closing the blinds, maybe whatever is out there won't notice he's there. But we're talking about something so powerful, so beyond comprehension. Doesn't matter. He closes the blinds and he turns away from the window. When the entire bedroom is illuminated in a bright light. And Tony is completely paralyzed. And that is when he hears the back door of the house open up. He hears someone run into his house. Panicked footsteps coming closer and closer. His house is laid out that there's a bathroom that connects his bedroom to the rest of the house. And he can hear whoever is running, running towards the bedroom. And he knows that soon they will be just a room away. And he still can't move. He hears something run into the bathroom. And then he sees the bathroom door open up. It's a dude. It's a human. Runs in to the bedroom. As normal looking as any human can be. He's five foot ten, brown hair, very athletic looking. He's wearing a bluish gray jumpsuit with black combat boots. He's a normal looking human, but he's terrified. The expression on his face is pure horror. He runs up and grabs Tony by the shoulders and lifts him up in the air and is screaming in his face, screaming, help me, help me. Tony's completely paralyzed. He can't even speak. This dude is holding Tony up. And then he looks away. 
he looks back towards the bathroom door that he just came through and slowly places Tony back to the ground, still staring at the open bathroom door. The stranger says, My God, they're coming. They're here. Just then a massive yellow light appears on a nearby wall, and two giant humanoids step out of the illuminated circle. They're six foot six inches tall, smooth gray skin, with cat-like eyes, the pupils were vertical. Just then a third tall man comes through the bathroom, and he is followed by a much shorter gray man. Five foot four, but Tony could tell this man was clearly the leader. He just gave off that energy that this was the man in charge. The tall gray beam that came out of the bathroom was holding this metal rod. Again, instinctively, Tony could tell this was some sort of weapon. And the tall guy with the metal rod aims it like a rifle and shoots the stranger right in the face. Tony is completely paralyzed, but he has to see what happened. The man falls out of Tony's field of vision. But Tony has to see what happened. And he forces, with every fiber of his being, he forces himself, his head, his eyes to slowly turn. And he sees lying on his bed the stranger. But his face is completely burned off. There's no flesh, just charred bone and muscle tissue. And his eyeballs wore pure white orbs sitting in burnt out sockets. The leader makes a motion, a simple motion with his hand. And two of the goons walk over, pick up the stranger's body, and disappear back into the yellow circle of light on the wall. The leader then walks up to Tony and stares at him. He actually has to reach up and grab Tony's face and manipulate it so they can look eye to eye. The paralysis is removed when the leader is moving him, but Tony can still not move himself. Something is said telepathically between the leader and Tony. And to this day, Tony can't remember what was said. But he knows there was some sort of communication. Tony could sense just hatred, anger, coming from this alien. The gray-skinned leader walks towards the bathroom door. And then turns around and stares at Tony for another 20 seconds. Then... He also disappears into the yellow circle of light on the wall, as does his tall alien bodyguard. Tony stands there paralyzed for another hour, even after all of the alien activity has left. He stands there in his bedroom, unable to move. Finally, when he regains his ability to not be paralyzed when he's able to walk around, he discovers that his entire family slept 
through the whole encounter. I got that story from thinkaboutitdocs.com. They got it, which is one of my favorite websites. I reference them all the time, and you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't go there at least once. There's just so much good stuff on there. They got it from Joyce Murphy from a book she wrote called Beyond Boundaries, which I'm, if this is the level of stuff in that book, I definitely want to check that out. It's an interesting story. I wish we had a little more information like dates and times. We just have vague stuff like night. I don't know if if he was married and someone else was in the bed and there's this corpse falling on the bed and didn't wake them up. I don't know. We don't know a lot of factors. How many people were that? We actually don't know there's anyone else in the house until the very ending when when the story goes, no one else woke up. At first, I thought it was just him in the house. So there's some more details I would like to know about the story. But overall, just the essence of it, it's something we haven't really come across in UFO lore. It's definitely not something we've covered on this show. This is, this sounds like a a sci-fi movie or a horror movie. The Alien Fugitive. I mean, there have been movies about this. Critters. Critters 2, Critters 3. I think there's five of them now. I've watched them all. But movies with the alien fugitive. Earth Girls are easy. I think they were on the run. I'm just going to list alien fugitive movies. The Man Who Fell to Earth. The point is, is that this sounds very sci-fi-ish. And it's one of those stories that I'm actually surprised we don't hear more of. It would be easy to fake, right? A lot of these UFO stories, including this one, could be fake. It could be a dream. It could be a mistaken thing. And we always got to accept that's a possibility. But... I'm surprised we... This is so cool. You know what I mean? You're sitting there at home, and all of a sudden, He-Man and Tila and Grimlore show up, and they're running through your house, and they're like, hey, we need your help. Skeletor's army is going to invade. Can you help us? Yeah, sure. Let me get this little magical flute down at the synthesizer store. And you go on a crazy adventure with these awesome dudes, and then you make out with Tila, and then they all go back to Eternia. Isn't that everyone's dream? Right? To be sucked into these whirlwind cosmic events. Be pretty dope. I'm surprised there's not more stories like this. Even made up ones. Fascinating stuff. I would, If I'm going to be in an alien encounter, aliens coming down being like, we have the cure to all your diseases. Here's a way so wheat can feed all humans. I'm like, oh, boring. <laughs> I'm dying from 10 different diseases. And I'm super hungry. I'm like, oh, do you have hush puppies? Then beat it aliens like aliens coming down and doing stuff like that or like i i'm more of an action-based alien guy i'm always talking about wanting to fight reptilians in some gladiator combat or something like that this would be dope it sucks that this tony guy was paralyzed because maybe he could have fought but i guess i'm really i guess i'm really focusing on i guess i'm really focusing on the story of the outsider because that's who we are, but this story just really is just so... I, I, I could talk about this story forever. I think it's super, super fascinating. One, we have the idea of an alien fugitive outrunning these guys. What's the backstory to that? Was he a human who was captured? Because he was the most human. Everyone else was gray. Everyone else was aliens. They had little. They had no noses and slits for mouths. The leader had a symbol of a... Like a military symbol on his uniform. It was described as a chevron the the chevron symbol with a snake with wings on it as well so is like did he escape from some sort was he abducted and was he escaping was he an alien clone i mean we could just we could just start coming up with stuff 
it just you, there's so many questions like why was he escaping was he a human that was abducted trying to escape why was he wearing those clothes that were kind of similar to the clothes they were wearing was he some sort of spy trying to break free was he a prisoner was he a shapeshifter were th- them killing him a mercy like was this guy going to be was this guy basically going to be he-man or a critter was he here to have their fun adventures on earth and fight against the aliens, or was he going to kill humans in the guise of humans, and these aliens had to come and protect us? We, he, they may have told Tony telepathically, "Hey, listen, I know this is disgusting, and we'll buy you new bed linens because the dude's face got blown up on it." But here's why we did that. So we have that whole thing. Why was this happening? These aliens coming down into this guy's room. We have the scare, like you have the horror aspect of it. Just being frozen and seeing something outside and then hearing something come into your house. That alone, if that was the end of the encounter, that alone would be a really cool story. Even if they never were able to find the source of the noise, the guy's paralyzed and he hears someone walking through his house very clearly room to room. And then... He hears it leave out the back door and the paralysis ends. That alone would have been a really unsettling story because you would have thought we would have covered that. That would have been cool and weird enough for this podcast alone. What was in his house? What was it looking for? There's a lot of that. That alone is cool, but we also have the element of the guy coming in, help me, help me, and then getting shot. Like It's just very, very, really cool sci-fi story, which we don't, it's odd, we don't see a lot of in UFOlogy. A lot of it is really basic stuff. So it's neat when we can get not only an action-packed story, but an action-packed story that hits on science fiction tropes. Now, yesterday's episode was so funny because I was talking about how we need to pay attention to the boring UFO stuff as well. And we do. I'm not I, I'm not saying stuff has to be exciting. I'm just saying it is fun when we get these stories. And when you get them, you realize how rare they are. Because if people make stories up i'm surprised more and people do make stories up i'm surprised we don't find more stories where they're like yeah and then i got two grays and headlocks and i bonked their heads together like coconuts and then i was like banging some hot space reptilian and she's like call me later and you're like sure and then you're like ripping up her space number as you're flying back to earth i'm surprised more people don't do that so it's a great story and it's a story that gives me hope even though <laughs> Even though this dude got shot in the face. I don't want to be that guy, right? I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guy who gets wrapped up in the whirlwind adventure. I wish if aliens are going to come to my house and they go, Jason, we need your your help. We need all your personal information. We're going to attach this device to your chest. And then we're going to take you somewhere. And I go, where? And they go, don't ask. Don't ask questions. They paralyze me. They're like, shh. We're going to take you somewhere. You're going to go on an awesome adventure, Jason. <laughs> That's when I realized these aliens, they have zippers. They have zippers on their skin. But I'm still like, oh, no, it's totally awesome. Aliens are taking me on an adventure. And they're like, get in our, get in our shuttle. <laughs> and it's like a Subaru outside. I'm like, huh, this is kind of weird. They're like, yeah, we call it a shuttle. They drive me to the woods. Next thing I know, I'm in some shack. And they're like, this is a hologram. You're actually on a really advanced spaceship. But if we showed you that, you would reveal our secrets. I don't want to go on that adventure. That's probably what's going to happen. I'm probably going to get abducted by a bunch of weirdos. And I'm going to thank their aliens just because, just because apparently I suffered a head injury before they showed up. But it would be cool for this to happen. It would be cool to get wrapped up in a story of 
interdimensional, intergalactic intrigue. And you go on this adventure, and then you are able to help the aliens fight against even more evil aliens. You're able to stop a Earth invasion and maybe maybe meet some hot. It always has to always has to be some sort of sex when I'm involved with aliens. You're you're meeting some hot, sexy, really curvy gray alien, and she's like, "Ooh, Jason." And then you're like, "I've done it. I've saved the Earth and your planet as well." And maybe we can come to some understanding. And they're like, "You're right. Maybe we're not so different all along." Plus. Plus, you have all these alien babies. You banged half our population. We don't know why you did that. You have to pay child support. And then I go, uh, then, then, then I escape. I escape because I'm a deadbeat dad. And as I'm flying away in my spaceship, I'm like, whoa, those kids will learn to love. Those kids will be just fine without their humanoid dad. And as I'm flying away in my spaceship, I noticed the authorities are chasing me, and I was like, oh, man, I better wear a disguise. They know these clothes. And then I go, that's weird. There's a jumpsuit in the back of this space shuttle, and it's bluish gray. But, you know, it's not really my colors. I'm more of a winter, but I put on the bluish gray, and I put on some black boots, and I'm flying back to Earth, and the aliens are getting closer and closer. And I start to think, "Uh uh-oh, if they catch me, I'm going to be liable. I don't have that many space credits, and I have like 100 little alien babies out there. I didn't know that they laid eggs by the dozens. And so I'm getting closer and closer to Earth, and I think, well, at least when I get to Earth, maybe I'll find sanctuary there. Maybe someone can help me. Maybe, just maybe, I can get away with being the first interplanetary absentee father. But we all know this story ends with a man getting shot in the face, and you're like, that guy's space family. (laughs) That guy's space family is going to listen to this episode he wasn't a deadbeat dad. This story's totally true. That happened to our Uncle Jimmy. That guy was like the best dad. And they're going to sue me for space libel because I am assuming that anyone who gets shot in the face by aliens owes child support. Maybe. In the world of the paranormal, you can never tell. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.